Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Good morning, church. Man, I'm glad you made it here today. You guys look really good. Are you excited to be here? A few of you. Come on, how many are you excited to be here? Come on. All right, turn to your neighbor. You guys know the drill. Give him a high five. Give him a holy kiss. Totally kidding. Holy hug. Um, man, I love it when you guys smile. Man, I love it. I love it. I love it. Turn to your second choice, uh, your second neighbor, and say, come on, Cowboys. Come on, Cowboys. Go, Cowboys. Come on. Come on. Come on. That's right. <laughs> Mike Lee. How many Seahawks fans do we have here? Okay. We love you guys, sort of, sort of. Um, how many Niner fans? Do we got any Niner fans? All right, all right. We will pray for your soul. We will pray for your soul. Uh, any, any L.A. Ram fans? Do we got some Ram fans? All right. Any East Coast? Philadelphia Eagle fans, Redskin fans, New York Giant fans? All right. If you are, could you just actually stand up and you're dismissed? Leave this place. Um, man, I'm, so I'm glad you made it here today. Uh, we're, we started last week our Acts series, and we're going to continue to talk about the book of Acts. And so over the next probably 10 weeks, maybe 10 to 2 years, we're not sure. We're going to try to figure out um, what, what, what the Holy Spirit wants us to say. But today, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Actually, probably over the next four or five weeks, we're going to talk about um, the Holy Spirit. I think you should when you go through the book of Acts. Amen. So uh, if you brought your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. If you didn't, there's no judgment here. Uh, we have the Bible up behind me, up on the big screens. How many of you love our big screens? All right, I love, love technology. All right. Uh, we're going to begin in chapter 1 in verse 1. It says in the first, first book, I'm getting a lot of feedback from the front row, so I'd like you to be quiet, Okay. My wife and my sister, can I ask you to leave? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. In the first book, oh, this is Dr. Luke. Everyone say Dr. Luke. In the first book, oh, Theopolis, scholars are not quite sure who Theopolis is. He could be a fictional character. Uh, it could be that Luke is using him as a you know, kind of a literary device uh, to write to all of God's uh, family. And so he writes this book. He's a traveling, Dr. Luke is a traveling partner with Paul. And uh, his book spans about 30 years. And so uh, he's writing. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach in his gospel. Who wrote the gospel of Luke? Dr. Luke. All right. I love this. Um, this is Acts is a sequel. Uh, and Luke is telling us that what Jesus did in his life and his ministry is still continuing today. So verse 2, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about, could you say that? The kingdom of God. Speaking about the kingdom of God and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. How many of you like to wait? Yeah, that's it's hard, right? How many of you like lines? We don't really like lines here, 
But when you follow Jesus, you're going to have to learn to wait. But to wait, before you go, you have to wait. We say this often, the right thing done at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Like, I'm not going to give the keys to my car to my twin-year-old boys who are six. Everyone said that would be tragic. They ain't going to drive me around town at the age of the age of six. So timing. Everyone say timing. Timing is important. Uh, waiting. Waiting for what? Well, Jesus tells the disciples, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive. This is famous uh, passage, some of you, because you've had bad experiences with the Holy Spirit, maybe in a different denominational setting. You're going to break out in hives. Please don't do that. Please, we'll talk about that. But you will, Jesus tells his disciples, will receive power. The Greek word is we all know, or many of us know, dudamus, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Continues, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The cloud symbolizes the presence of God. We talked about the ascension of Jesus. This is not a vertical takeoff into outer space with um, Elon Musk like his Tesla. Jesus is not in orbit. He goes into heaven, which is another dimension. Can I get an amen to that? And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And all these uh, were with one accord. Everyone say one accord. How many of you think we need more unity? Less fighting, less division, more unity, right? All these were, uh, the Greek word is homothematon, right? It's one accord. We're in unity. And they were devoting, everyone say devote. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And we'll end in verse 15. In those days, Peter, Jesus cho chose Peter. Uh, there's no vote, vote for uh, who's going to lead this uh, early church movement. There's no um, uh, demon boards. I mean, I mean, deacon boards. In the, I'm, it's a bad joke. I'm totally kidding. But in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, and he came in verse 16, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Jesus, Judas, which became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. We'll stop there. Amen. Could you bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we thank you for uh, your grace. Lord, we just bless your sons and your daughters. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your uh, spirit and your grace. 
Lord, I thank you for your energy today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So Jesus comes back from the dead. We talked about this over the last few weeks. And uh, he appears over a period of 40 days with his uh, disciples. And so Acts 1 tells us that the disciples and Jesus are having a conversation. Everyone say conversation. So they're having a conversation about the kingdom of God. So what were they talking about? I, I like to think like they, they took a lot of Old Testament passages and telescoped them together. Uh, one of my favorite passages in Isaiah is Isaiah chapter 11. And it's this poetic vision of this future time in history where lions, how many of you like lions? Like that's your animal, right? Uh, lions, an apex creature in this future moment when God, when God makes all things new, this lion turns to eating straw. So in, in essence, the lion becomes a vegetarian in God's brand new world and all the vegans and vegetarians said amen. Okay. Wow. All right. This is the service that I, man, I knew I liked you guys. I knew I liked you guys. Well, uh, the, the, the reason uh, Isaiah has his vision of a lion turning to straw. It's, it's, it's his vision of creation being reversed. It's evil, radical evil, being removed from God's world as God begins to make all things new. So they're talking about everything. I'm sure they're talking about uh, the Garden City and how God will renew uh, the space, uh, time, cosmos. So they're having this conversation with Jesus about the kingdom and when it will come and when it will be fully inaugurated. And then um, Jesus tells them, hey guys, you're not going to know the time or the date. Um, that's not going to be, I'm not going to let you in on that. And so many people, when they read that, they assume that Jesus, because they ask the question, okay, God, when is this all going to happen? Jesus says, you're not going to know the specific time. And then we read that, and we, it's, we, we kind of just assume that Jesus said no to the disciples. You can't know anything about the restoration of God's kingdom. And that's not true. Now, Jesus, yes, is saying you're not going to know the times and the seasons. So like today, you go on to Facebook. We all know everything on Facebook is true. Right? You go on the internet and you have some guy like writing about the end of the world and this is the specific time. Good, good news. You don't have to freak out. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Because Jesus makes it very clear he doesn't even know the time. So if someone's assuming that they know the time, they're actually putting themselves on another level or a level over than Jesus. And homie don't play that and Jesus don't play that. Okay? Um, so they have this, this, this conversation, right, about um, the time and the seasons. Jesus says, you're not going to know it. But then we just assume Jesus doesn't give them an answer about how the kingdom of God will come or break into creation itself. Jesus actually gives them the answer. He says, no, you, you're not going to know the time, but this is how new creation or my kingdom is going to break into our existence here on creation. And this is how it's going to happen. Jesus says, I want you to wait because you will receive. Turn to your neighbor and say, you will receive. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so you can be a witness. Jesus did not say, okay, my little homies, right? You got to figure out church doctrine. You, um, Man, you got to get into like church growth theory. Uh, you got to make sure your parking lots are perfect, which I, I think we need to have perfect parking lots. Can I get an amen to that? 
you got to do all this stuff. You got to you got to modify your behavior. You got to you got to be an expert in church growth. You got to become a theologue and like do morphology in Greek in order for my kingdom to come. And Jesus doesn't say any of that. Jesus says, "Hey, this is how my kingdom's going to come and break into our existence, break into creation itself, and actually do something to creation. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit." Some of you are breaking out in hives right now, and I get it, right? Because I feel like sometimes there are some Sundays my job as a pastor is to, like, clear the weeds. Like, how many of you like Fixer Upper? Do you guys watch Fixer Upper? Like, you love, is it Chip? I love Chipper. He's my Chipper. Come on, everyone say Chipper. He's my fellow. He's my fellow redhead. Like, we connect. One day he's going to be my best friend. Sorry, Shane. Um, I I love this guy. You know what I love about him? He's like... Every time, because you know they renovate houses, right? And before they renovate an old house, what do they do? They have to go in, and it's called demolition day. So they got to tear everything apart. He's like a kid in a candy store, right? And he likes to go in and destroy things. Sometimes, uh, when it comes to specifically, uh, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we have to do demolition. We have to come in and kind of clear things out before we renovate our mind and our thinking and our experience with the Holy Spirit. Because there's this thing called the continuum. Everyone say continuum. So on this continuum, when it comes to how we relate to the Holy Spirit, you got conservative folk and you have um, like crazy people. The conservative folk, and I actually have family members who, they insist that um, the Holy Spirit and uh, healing and miracles, even speaking in tongues, that doesn't come from God. Some people have even insisted, this is bad teaching, that that is demonic. We don't believe that. Uh, there's some, there's this, this weird polarization within American churches. You got, and this is like a broad sweeping l- a label. You have Jesus churches where they focus on Jesus. And how many of you know we need to focus on Jesus? So we will always focus on Jesus. But then there's this weird polarization that you don't see reflected in Scripture. Then you have these Holy Spirit churches. They don't really talk much about Jesus, but they talk about the Holy Spirit. They got shofars. They got flags. They have fire tunnels. Can I get an amen? Some of you love that stuff. You're like, bring it back, Chris. They got tambourines, right? How many of you think that Shane Grove should get a tambourine and do a solo? Shane, Shane is going to, we're going to have a talk after this with Shane. Um, but we have people that um, emphasize, so emphasize the Holy Spirit that they, they um, polarize or they remove themselves from King Jesus. And then you have Jesus churches that, again, they kind of like, they start to shake and it's not the Holy Spirit, but they get nervous when we talk about the Holy Spirit because of their bad experience with the Holy Spirit. How many of you... Um, get frustrated when you get like, um, how many of you have like cords, like chargers, your iPhone, your computers? It, the most frustrating thing for me is when your cords, you just drop them. Like, I don't know. I don't think cords are sentient. They don't have a mind. They can't move. But for whatever reason, when you put cords together, they get all tangled up. Isn't that frustrating, right? Um, it's frustrating for us, but when we look at Jesus and his relationship with the Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not radically separated. They're like, and this is a horrible analogy, they're like 
um, these cords tangled up. In, in fact, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are inextricably connected. There's no such thing as a Jesus church without the Holy Spirit, and there's no such thing with, as a Holy Spirit church without Jesus. Amen. So um, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We're not going to bring back certain things. We used to have flags, and we stopped the flag waving because I kept on getting hit with flags, okay? So it's practical. I'm tired of getting slapped by flags, okay? Um, we're not going to bring back the shofar. If shofar is your thing, keep it at the house. Blow the shofar, okay? Um, but we're not, like, again, I just want to make sure that you're not getting nervous. We're, we're not talking about we're going to go crazy, nor we're going to go conservative. We want to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Jesus makes it very clear to his disciples. You shall receive the Holy Spirit and power. Uh, Gordon D. Fee says that the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. Many of us think in the church, too, uh, we're, we're familiar with God the Father, and we're familiar with God the Son, but we get confused with the Holy Who, right? Um, let me just say this really quick, and I'm going to talk more about this, but um, the Holy Spirit is not a force. Any Star Wars fans here today? Okay, a few of you, all right? I love you guys. I don't get you guys, but I love you guys. I know there's something called the force. Everyone say the force. When they talk about the force, you have Jedis, and then you have, like, bad guys, right? Anyways, let's move on. Um, and the force is like an energy field, right? And you can manipulate it for good or for bad. Well, the Holy Spirit is not a force, a thing, an it. Uh, you can't depersonalize the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is God. He speaks. He's alive. He's at work. Come on. And he works within us to bring about God's purpose in our life. So we can't thingify the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot be manipulated. The Holy Spirit cannot be manipulated. But the Holy Spirit, it's very clear, is God's empowering presence. Billy Graham, he, he, I think he probably quoted this maybe 30 years ago, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, you know what, I, I've kind of, I've gone through a lot, of, I've been to a lot of different churches, talked to a lot of Christians, and I realize we got good Christians and they love Jesus, and they're going to church, but they're missing something. And Billy Graham goes, they're missing the Holy Spirit. We have Christians, they're not killing people. Don't kill somebody. Can I get an amen? Right? They're not doing bad things, but they're, and they're reading their Bibles every now and then, but they're missing something. What are they missing? They're missing, in the words of Billy Graham, they're missing the Holy Spirit. They're missing the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So, the question is, what does that mean? Which leads me to this, this question. Uh, many people think that uh, when Jesus went around doing like healing and miracles and signs and wonders and uh, walking on water and multiplying bread, and uh, we assume those are proofs that Jesus is the Son of God. Let me just say this really quick. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe he's the, the, the living embodiment of Israel's God. We believe he's the second person of the Trinity. We'll talk about the Trinity later. I'm not going to nerd out on you on theology today. Some of you are like, oh, thank God, right? Actually, I'm going to hear it a little bit. That was a trick. 
But we just, we just, we assume that these miracle stories, healing stories, prove that Jesus was the Son of God. Well, yes, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. He's the living embodiment of Israel's God, Yahweh himself, fleshed out. But Elijah performed miracles. We don't believe Elijah is or was God. We know that Peter and Paul, they performed miracles. How many of you would say, yes, Peter and Paul, they were not divine, right? So um, people just assume that, again, miracles and healings prove this power that was on Jesus' life proved that he was the Son of God. That's actually not the case. The case is that Jesus performed these signs and wonders because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. We go to Luke chapter 3, and uh, Jesus is being baptized. This is an apocalyptic story. The heavens are torn open. I love biblical apocalypse because it's all about how God brings his love and his healing to the cosmos itself. When we think of apocalypse, what do we think? We think of viruses and zombies, the walking dead, etc. But in this apocalyptic event, John the Baptist's cousin, how many of you love your cousins? Okay, four of you, all right. We need to pray for all of us. Woo! Right? So John the Baptist, he baptizes Jesus. The heavens open, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, not a dove, but like a dove, and lands on Jesus himself. We'll talk more about this next week. And notice what happens. Jesus is baptized with the Holy Spirit, and he goes back, and there's power. Uh, the, the following chapter, he goes to Nazareth, his hometown. He opens up the scroll, and this is what he says. He quotes Isaiah chapter 61, and what does he say? Um, Today, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring liberty to the captives. And then he closes the scroll after he quotes this Isaiah 61 passage. And he says, uh, in a dramatic fashion, today the scripture has been fulfilled in me. Jesus then from there goes and begins to heal the sick. He begins to perform miracles. Uh, He breaks bread and fish and multiplies and feeds crowds with five loaves and uh, a couple fish, right? Uh, he, he heals those who are oppressed, depressed, um, demonized. Uh, he handles um, persecution like we can't even imagine. He, he teaches on enemy love, and he goes all the way to the cross. And in Luke chapter 20, uh, 23, we see Jesus not blankety blanketing his enemies, but he's forgiving and loving his enemies. How did Jesus live the life that he lived? Many of us will say, well, because Jesus cheated. We're like, what do you mean? Well, Jesus is God. That's why he could live the life that he lived. That's a wrong response. It's a wrong way of looking at, yes, we believe. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And all things are being made made new through Jesus himself. But Jesus submitted himself, submitted himself to the work of the Holy Spirit, showing us what it truly looks like to be human. Jesus was fully God, and Jesus was also fully human. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, we find Paul says that um, Jesus entered human history. He became obedient to the point of death, and his father exalted him. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is 
Lord. But there's this Greek word. Is it okay if I just give me three minutes to nerd out on you on some theology? So this Greek word um, is, is kenosis. It means to empty. Jesus emptied himself and became human, obedient to the point of death. What does that word kenosis, emptying, mean? For 2,000 years, church um, theologians and, and pastors and philosophers have tried to figure out what this means. That the consensus is Jesus did not empty himself of being divine. Can I get an amen? We don't believe that when Jesus became human, he like was like a like a tribal god or pseudo god or half divine or anything like that. No, Jesus was still fully God. The word empty yourself means that Jesus took all of his divine prerogatives, everything that makes God God, and he submitted it to his Father that he would not exercise his divine prerogatives outside relationship and partnership with the Holy Spirit. So how many of you believe that God is omnipresent? Like he's everywhere. Is there any space in uh, our world that where, where God is not? Exactly. We believe that God is, is omnipresent, yet Jesus historically was not omnipresent. He was one in one location. Uh, we believe that God is omnipotent. Can I get an amen to that? God, uh, it simply means that God is all-powerful. Uh, he's at work in bringing new creation um, to, to flourishing, bringing the cosmos to its final goal. God has all the power that we could possibly imagine. Yet Jesus, what we find is that he suffered and he was exhausted and he was tired. And all the parents said amen to that. So again, Jesus submitted his divine prerogatives, omnipotence, uh, omnipresence to his Father. Uh, we also believe that God is omniscient. How many of you believe that? He knows everything, right? He knows far-flung planets and constellations and stars. He knows what's going on in Australia and the African Sahara, right? Am I, am I, is that right? No, that's not right. Anyways, he just knows what, what, what's happening in our world, there's, not, there's nothing that lies outside the range of his knowledge. Yet Jesus, what we find is that he tells his disciples, there are some things I don't know, only the Father knows. Does that mean that Jesus is not fully divine? No, is that Jesus, Jesus historically submitted his divine prerogatives to his Father. So this is how we need to see signs and wonders and healing and power, and strength, and boldness as. They're signs of new creation breaking in. Jesus, in other words, if that is true, Jesus, yes, is the Son of God, but when we see Jesus performing miracles and healings, we need to see him, please, please get me, as the fully human one. In other words, this is what it means to fully, some of you are like, you're gonna freak out on this, but hear me out. And please stick with me for the next two years, and I will explain all of this, okay? <laughs> Jesus is the fully human person. You know what kind of frustrates me? When people, like, they, they offer their mea culpa or their, their, their public repentance. They've done something really bad, and then they kind of apologize, and then what do they say? Guys, I was only human. It's like, please stop it. I thought you were an alien, right? I didn't know you were human, right? Number one, it's, a, it's, it's frustrating, but it's frustrating because that's not what human is. 
We assume human is rooted in weakness, discouragement, failure, and sin. That's not how God designed a human life to be. In fact, we find if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, are you still with me? I know I'm kind of nerding out a little bit on theology, but in Genesis chapter 2, we have God making Adam and Eve. He makes Adam, he breathes into him, gives him his spirit, then he takes him and puts him in a garden. And all the green thumbs said amen to that. Like I tried gardening for 30 minutes and I stopped. It's weird, weeds just grow up when I try to like garden. It's the weirdest thing. But the first vocation, the first human vocation is to garden, right? So he places, God places Adam and Eve in this garden. They're, they're called to cultivate it, tend it. They're also called to reflect God's wise and loving rule over creation itself. They're to take this garden and turn creation into a garden world. And then we have this interesting scene in, in Genesis 2 where God then brings all these animals to um, Adam. And Adam starts to name them. Adam's like a zoologist. And he's naming all these animals in the, in, in the ancient uh, Near East, to name something was to take authority over it. To name something was to exercise God's, essentially God's rule over it. So Adam, the true human, is exercising authority over God's creation with wisdom, with love, in partnership with God himself. Now we have Jesus coming on the scene in his baptism he is given the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is able to do everything that his Father had sent him to do because he received the Holy Spirit as the royal human image bearer. Now, once we're in Christ, I think you're following me, we have been given this vocation to bring God's love and rule and wisdom to creation itself. I know this is like, what are we talking about, Chris? Just follow with me. And we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about vision stuff. Over the next 10 years, we want to plant uh, campuses throughout our region. How many of you think that's a good idea? How many of you think there are people in our city that need Jesus? How many of you know neighbors and family and friends and cousins whose lives have been broken by sin and you know that they need the good news? They need the Holy Spirit in their lives. And we've been talking about, again, over the next decade, we want to plan at least, how many of you believe we can do this? At least 10 campuses over the next 10 years in our region. I believe we're called to be a local church. I believe we're called to be a regional church. I also believe we're called to be a global church. Let's call it global. I believe God's gonna use us to bless our city. God's gonna use us to bless our region. And God's gonna use us to bless the world. And some of you have no idea, but God's gonna fill you with his power. He's gonna change your life. He's gonna do a little loop-de-doo. Can I get an amen to that, right? And he's going to change you and heal you and give you his spirit so you can be who God's called you to be. But we cannot plant campuses without the power of Jesus. We cannot be on mission 
without the Holy Spirit. We can't do what God has called us to do without the presence, the empowering presence of Jesus himself in our lives. We can't overcome temptation without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't overcome depression without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't raise our babies without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do messages and sermon series without the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. We can't worship, and we have the best worship team in the world, right? We can't do worship without the power of the Holy Spirit. We need more than talent. We need more than just ingenuity. We need more than just um, good branding. We need more than just skinny jeans or whatever you call these, right? We need more than being relevant. Lord, have mercy. I'm sick of relevant talk. We don't need more relevance. We need more power. We don't need more talent or branding. We need more of the Holy Spirit. can't live without the Holy Spirit. We can't read our Bibles. We can't worship. We can't pray. We can't go to work. We can't handle our money. We can't love our enemies. We can't fulfill the Sermon on the Mount without the power of the Holy Spirit. So at the end of this message, give me about 10 minutes. I'm almost done. We're going to pray for a renewed receiving the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I promise today we're not going to throw out the fire tunnel. Can I get any man to that? Like, please don't be nervous. Um, I, I think we have a good team of people that we have a good sense of how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is not a force to be manipulated for our own experience. The Holy Spirit, yeah, you'll feel good when you receive power. But it's not just about feeling good. Can I get any man? Receiving the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. It's all about his kingdom. It's all about his mission. It's all about his glory. It's all about new creation. It's all about other people. Woo. I don't know why I did that. This sounded a little funny. But it's not about us. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So how, how can we do this? Again, we're going to spend several weeks. We're going to be talking about this. I really do believe God's going to do a fresh work in, in, in our lives a fresh work in our church. Uh, we find um, kind of a pattern in chapter one of Acts, verse 14, kind of shows us what the disciples did to, to prepare themselves uh, for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to receive the Holy Spirit? Okay, some of you are like, well, Chris, I don't want to shake. I don't want to fall down. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about the power to overcome temptation. Some of you are addicted to porn and you have not been able to break it because you have not received the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you can't love your family like you really want to love and you have anger problems because you have not received the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, you've not been able to break the cycle or the rhetoric of fear that kind of dominates your thinking or your thought world. And maybe, maybe is because you have not received the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not perfect. Can I get an amen to that? We go through seasons. There's no one here that's flawless. But when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So we come to verse 14. I just want to read this really quick. Are we there? Yeah. Verse 14 of chapter 1. It says, all these. So they're waiting, right? They're, they're in transition. Transitions can be volatile. 
um, Peter is chosen by Jesus. There's no power bro- brokering. There's unity. How did they get that unity? And how did they prepare themselves as they waited to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, Luke tells us all these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So what, what did they do? The first thing is they all worked from an assumption that they all belonged. Turn to your neighbor and say, I belong. Turn to your other name, neighbor and say, if I'm in Christ, I belong. So just so you know, Luke tells us that Jesus is redrawing what it means to be a part of God's family. Anthropologists call this a fictive kinship group. So what Jesus is doing, he's taking everybody off. You look at the social political map of Jesus' world. Jesus is taking people from all different sorts of ethnic identities, all sorts of different political um, political persuasions, um, different classes. We have Mary Magdalene. She would have been considered um, unclean. She had seven demons. Jesus healed her. She's following Jesus. Uh, we know James and John. They were sons of thunder. We talked about them last week. They were essentially um, um, religious terrorists, right? We have Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, he would have been considered in the world of Jesus pariah or an outsider because he was a collaborator with Rome. So you have this motley group of people. They're all all over the social political map and Jesus gathers them together and their life is now centered around Jesus himself. So in other words, all things when it comes to Jesus, all things are level. Jesus, in other words, we talk about this a lot, is the great equalizer. And this is the heart of Jesus for the people. The heart of Jesus for the people basically is that there's no hierarchical structure in the church. You don't have like the blessed and the not blessed or the outsider or the insider or man, I'm from the, fa- the wrong family or I have the wrong color of skin or I come from a different political persuasion and you come to church and you basically assume that because of certain circumstances you don't belong. Jesus Jesus rules all that out. Rules it all out. Here we have this brave new experiment. It's powerful. Jesus is creating this new social reality around him. This would have been considered unthinkable. Like today, it'd be like someone coming and gathering vegans with meat lovers and Philadelphia Eagle fans with Dallas Cowboy fans, right? And Democrats and Republicans and, and, um, I don't know, different walks of life and different classes and different ethnicities and bringing them all together and creating a new way of being human. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. If you're in Christ, you belong. If you're in Christ, I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't know. I don't care what you even assume you're going to do in the future. But if you're in Christ, you belong to the family of God. You've been forgiven. All things are equal in God's kingdom. I think this is a big problem for a lot of people. I think people like watching This Is Us, right? The TV show. If you've watched it, I'm sure you've cried your eyeballs out, right? There's one scene in This Is Us, a, a guy named Toby. If you haven't watched it, a guy named Toby, he's having a conversation with some of his like, friends. And uh, he, uh, how many Star Wars fans do we have here, right? Just raise your hand again, okay? Um, you're gonna love this. 
he says, he's having this conversation with his, his friends, and he's like, man, I just love Star Wars. And the reason why I like Star Wars is because I love Obi-Wan Kenobi. Is that a guy? Okay. It's hoping Yoda, right? Uh, Chewbacca. How many of you love Chewbacca, right? Was that Mark Francie? <laughs> Stefan, that was amazing. Was that you? That's incredible. And he goes, the reason why I, I love them is because I always assumed they were on the inside, and my whole life I lived on the outside. Many people just assume they live on the outside, even in the church. I'm going to declare over you, if you're in Christ, you're not an outsider. You are an insider. You, Man, you belong. You are a member of God's family. Well, I don't have enough money. I don't care. Well, I had a bad family. I don't care. Well, I made bad decisions. I don't care. All things have been forgiven at the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus. Colossians, really quick. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here, there, in this family, this is Paul writing. He says, there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. We all belong. That's the assumption that we work from. And because we work from that assumption, then put on, he continues in verse 12, as God's chosen ones, truly human ones, royal image bearers, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So when we work from the assumption that we belong because we are in Christ, that's the foundation for loving and being patient. The reason why some of you are not patient with people, because you've actually, you don't even know this, but you've made the intellectual move that that person is somehow less than you. When you can't forgive someone, you, you're making the assumption that that person has done something so wrong that they're less than human. You've devalued no matter, and I know people do really bad things, but you've devalued the image of God in them. But this is why belonging is so important. They, they understood that they belonged, number one. Number two, the thing that they did while they waited to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, they were committed to being together. They were committed to being together. I had an interesting experience. Can you give me just five more minutes? Interesting experience Friday night. Um, we have my, my, my sons, they play football in first and second grade. And uh, we have the best coaches in the world, the best coaches in the world. Um, but they couldn't make it to this Friday night game. And so they gave me the responsibility of coaching my sons Friday night. And I've never played football before in my life. And so we had a great game. It was a great game. I really coached up our guys. We lost 42 to zero. No, we didn't score, Trace. We didn't score, okay. Um, no, we didn't score. No. Anyways, that's all right. So it was one of those, again, a great, I love, love these boys, but it was one of those isolating moments. I remember the first quarter, I was by myself with seven, seven first and second graders, and they're amazing uh, boys and girls, um, but I remember trying to call a play. I don't even, I, I'm trying to, like, I don't even know what this play means, but let's just try it, right? And so 
Uh, I remember sweating. I mean, I'm just like, God, please get me out of here. I feel bad for the parents. The parents are like, come on, get your act together. And uh, I felt extremely isolated until second quarter comes around and I texted Mark Francie and he came on the field and he did nothing for me. He just high-fived, he just high-fived the kids, right? Just said, go get him, champ, go get him, buddy. I'm like, just, you know. Uh, but it was amazing. His, as he came in, um, and I'm calling the plays, just his presence calmed me down. Man, I started, like, designing new plays. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm not by myself, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. There was like a renewed confidence that I experienced. It's funny how when you make a commitment to uh, be together, how, how you will, if you do this, you will experience a strength. There's something about strength when you're not doing life alone. Uh, it, what's, what's ironic about or what's funny about this whole thing about the resurrection Paul tells us that 500 people at least, maybe even more in 1 Corinthians 15, saw Jesus bodily back from the dead. What's interesting in Acts 1, you only see 120 people up in the upper room. So they get all the evidence of a risen, bodily risen Jesus, and yet they can't commit to church. It's funny, a, a pastor took some scholars and they did some research. It's about 10-year-old study. And uh, they, they took 18 to 44-year-old, that was their demographic, 18 to 44-year-olds who were unchurched. They asked them all sorts of questions. One of the questions which shocked a lot of the researchers was uh, the perception of these unchurched people about Jesus. 85% of these unchurched people believed that there was credible evidence that Jesus came back from the dead. 85%. And yet the reason why they didn't come to church was not based on the evidence. They just didn't want anybody to tell them what to do. It's funny. The average um, American churchgoer goes to church one time a month. Uh, changes church churches uh, every 18 months. This isn't to judge anybody. This is just to be descriptive of what's happening in our culture. I just want to say there's value in being together every single Sunday, getting plugged into a small group, doing life together. Can I get an amen? There's something about that. Like I, I had a strange experience a couple years ago. I was really praying about something and the Holy Spirit wasn't answering. And I kept on praying and praying and praying. And the Holy Spirit wasn't answering. And then I kind of felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to talk to my wife, because God speaks to her, right? And I remember I went to uh, Kel, and we started talking about uh, an issue, and she helped me. It was the Holy Spirit working through my wife, helping me through this, this puzzle that I had in my head. And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, if you're not willing to do life, not just with your wife, but do life together, because that God wants to work through his body. Can I get an amen to that? And some of us are wanting a word from God when God wants to speak through someone in his church into your life. And if we fail to be together, right? You can't be together if you're consistently not together. 
You can't get the strength that comes from being together. Amen. Uh, finally, the last thing is number three. So we belong. Uh, not only do we belong, we're committed, or the disciples were committed to being, doing life together. And number three, it's really simple. They pray together. This is where I'm going to end. I have so much more, but uh, it's 1228. I kind of lied. It's 1230, okay? <laughs> Let me just say this. They prayed together. They prayed together. As I close, the way you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, this is our starting point. There's much more we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But this is our starting point, is you have to be with the Holy Spirit. They prayed together. They prayed for each other. And they prayed and committed their lives to Jesus and they waited for the Holy Spirit to come and fill them with power. I think the greatest threat to the church today, it's not postmodernism. It's not the Illuminati. Can I get any man of that? It's not Eminem and his rap God status, right? Like corrupting all the morals, right? It's not secularism. It's not the President of the United States. It's not, we go on and on and on. Usually when we think of threats, we think of like really big cosmic forces that are against the church. I don't think there's any force that can handle, if the church can get a hold of who they are, can handle the church. Forces and the powers of evil have been defeated. I think the greatest threat to the church today is our lifestyle. It's when we choose to marginalize God in our daily lives by not spending time with him, which then causes um, a, a deterioration of our relationship and partnership with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, which then leads to conformity to secular assumptions uh, that tell us how to live life, which then sucks all the power that God wants to give to us. We're gonna talk a lot about this next week. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you with his power. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he wants to be with you. And the way you enter into what only the Holy Spirit can do for you is by making sure you're spending time with him in prayer. Amen. They knew they belonged. They committed to being together. And number three, they prayed for each other. And guess what happened? Guess what happened? They had one accordness. They were in unity. We don't, we don't believe in forcing unity. Can I get an amen? I'm not, I'm not here to force anybody to do anything. That's just not, I don't think that's Jesus's style. We don't believe that. We're not going to force you to do anything. The way we get into unity is by valuing each other, being together, and praying for each other, and being with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.